0: Luke 15, I'll read verse number 11, and you uh, join me on verse number 12. The Bible says, and he said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Just a few more verses. Now his elder son, he'll be the focus of the message this morning. His elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. Let's end together on verse number 28. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. He was thrilled that his brother had come home. He was happy about the fact that his wayward brother, this prodigal son, had had wasted his life and now he was back and, and it was an answer to prayer and he was just as happy as he could be. There was rejoicing and partying and uh, that which was lost is found. And this this older brother was happy about it, right? No. No. The Bible says that he was angry. He was angry. And I want to preach to you for a while on this story, but I want to draw special attention to this older brother who, who watched this, never left home, Never abandoned responsibility, stayed right where he should have been, and was mad about it the whole time. And oftentimes, some of the angriest people that we'll meet are not those that have spent years wasting their life in sin, though certainly, certainly there's a price to that. But I preach to teenagers and youth rallies and Sunday schools and all the time, and Sometimes some of the most angry people are the people who sit in buildings just like this. Who go to Christian schools and parents sacrifice and they sit through Bible class and chapel and youth programs and they never do leave, but they they sit here and they're mad about it. And I want to talk for a moment about that angry son. Luke 15 is a great chapter in the Bible. And um, it really is. My son was talking to me yesterday, last night, and he said, Dad, he said, where should I read in the Bible before I go to bed? And I said, son, why don't you read in Luke 15? Go read Luke chapter number 15. And he did, and came back, and uh, we were talking about it. And he said, Dad, that was good. I said, it was. I said, what'd you get out of it? What's going on in Luke 15? And he said, well, Dad, he said, there's a lost sheep. Luke 15, he said, "There's a lost coin." In Luke 15, he said, "And there's a lost uh, the prodigal son, the lost son in Luke 15, and that that's exactly what's in the chapter." And I said, "That's right." I said, "Now, now, what'd you get out of it?" He said, "I don't know." <laughs> and I said, "Well, I said, I said, well, I said, think about it." I said, "The lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, well, what's God trying to tell us?" I don't know. And I said and I said here's what Luke 15 shows us it shows us that Jesus loves the lost. He loves the lost. He all these parables working together to show us a very important truth that Jesus loves the lost. And it doesn't matter how lost you are, it doesn't matter how you became lost, it doesn't matter if you're part of the family of God and you're one of the sheep that has gone astray and and you're backslidden and you don't even realize how you got that way, Jesus loves the lost. It doesn't matter if you have no sense of value, think about that lost coin. Coin, it, it denotes value. If you're sitting here this morning and you have no sense of value, I mean, you feel worthless. Have you ever felt that way? Jesus loves the lost. Or if you're a lost son, if you're a teenager or maybe a little older than that and you've gone astray, it doesn't matter what your situation is, Jesus loves the lost. Man, I love that about our Lord. I love the fact that, that no matter how lost we are, he loves the lost. Well, I want to love the lost. I was so thrilled and blessed yesterday. Uh, one of our soul winning groups that, that went out, they were able to witness to a lady. She may be here this morning, I'm not sure. But they were able to witness to a lady and they came back and they told me the story and they were so happy about it. They were so uh, just energized about this encounter with this lady. They came up to her. She was sitting underneath a pavilion and just by herself sitting there. And they came and they began to talk to her and witness to her and as they were witnessing to her, they they learned that she was struggling, having a a difficult time in life. By the way, those are the types of people, you, you hear me, Jesus loves people just like that. Those that are struggling, those that would be easy maybe to walk by. Jesus loves the lost, and and I'm glad that our ladies began to witness to her, and they found out that she was lost, that she was struggling. They won her to Christ, but then they did more than that. They went out on their own, and they bought her a pizza, and they brought that pizza back to her, and, and they gave her the pizza, and they ate the pizza with her, and... Knowing our teenage girl, she probably only got one slice, and they devoured the rest, but no, but they gave the, they ate the pizza with her, and and uh, and she was just crying, just so happy that somebody would care enough to buy her a pizza. And then the girls decided, you know, we're going to sing to her, and this all happened yesterday. Uh, five or six of our young ladies, they, they won this lady to Christ, and they brought her a pizza, and, and they sang her a song, and when it was all done, this lady looked at them and said, this must be what heaven feels like. This must be what heaven feels like. Man, I was telling my my family that story, and my son looked at me and he said, Dad, that's that's what we need to be doing. I said, that's right. Hey, that's what Jesus would do if he were here. Why? Because he loves the lost. He loves the lost. And this morning, as we look at uh, this lost son, and really this lost family, I realize that the story is full of truth, so much truth found in Luke chapter 15. I've preached a dozen sermons from Luke chapter 15. There's there's a lot. I'm not going to preach them all uh, this morning, maybe half of them, no, but there's a a lot of truth in Luke 15. I've preached from Luke 15. You've heard sermons from Luke Luke 15. Uh, I've heard preaching on the characters in the story. The father... The older brother, the prodigal son, the the mother who is absent from the family. We don't know why she's not there, but she's never mentioned at all. She's completely absent. I've heard speculation that maybe she died of a broken heart. I've heard maybe she was rebellious herself and and, uh, that's why the younger son went astray. I don't know, but I've heard preaching on the characters in the story. I've heard preaching about the choices made in the story of the prodigal son. The choice to forsake dad and to walk away. And by the way, and let me just say this parents, and let me say this teenagers, uh, to everybody who walks away from the father's house, that is a choice. It's a choice. This prodigal was not pushed out of the father's house. It was quite the opposite. Uh, The father loved him, but he chose to walk away. I've heard uh, preaching on the choices, the choice to forsake, the choice to forgive by the father, the choice to fume by the older son who, who looked at it all. And instead of being happy and instead of joining in, he was upset. Like we read, he was angry. I've heard preaching on the characters. I've heard preaching on the choices. I've heard preaching and I've preached myself on the two places in the story. There's two places in the story of the prodigal son, two main places. There's the far, I'm sorry, there's the, the father's house, that's one place, and you understand as we look at this parable that the father's house symbolizes the will of God. The father's house symbolizes the relationship that we ought to have with our father. There's parameters in the Father's house, there's rules in the Father's house, there's, uh, there's music in the Father's house, there are friends that are welcome in the Father's house and friends that are not welcome in the Father's house. There's expectations in the Father's house. And so when we look at this first place, the Father's house, we realize that, that this Father's house is the will of God. By the way, that's where I want to be. I want to be in the Father's house. I want to raise my family in the Father's house. I, I want my music and my friendships and my relationships to be Father's house approved. Are you with me? That's where we want to be. In this story, that's where we want to be. Hey, teenager, that's, uh, listen, that's where you want to live. You may be looking at it now saying, I don't know, and and maybe like that prodigal thinking, I think I'd like to leave the Father's house. No, trust me, uh, you want to be in the Father's house. Because the second place in the story is the far country. And I've heard preaching on the far country. How the younger son never should have left his father's house. How he took his journey, the Bible says, into this far country this undefined space, far country. How far did he go? He went far. He went far enough to realize that he never should have left. He went far enough to realize that he had gone too far. And I want you to hear me. Every person that leaves the Father's house and gets into the far country, the same thing will happen. Not everybody in the far country wakes up, but everybody who leaves the Father's house and goes to the far country, they all do what this boy did in verse 17. They all come to themselves. They all realize, man, I never should have left. I went further than I thought I would go, and young people, if you're sitting here right now and you are contemplating uh, leaving the Father's house, if you're sitting here right now and you are uh, overwhelmed with the expectations or the rules in the Father's house, if you're sitting here right now and you're taking your journey in your mind, you see, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the story. Uh, This younger brother, I'm sure that he looked right, but see, on the inside… He was taking a trip away from the Father's house. And if you're sitting here right now and that's you, I want to, I want to ask you a question. How far are you gonna go? I mean, if you're a teenager right now, you say, I'm in the Christian school and, and, and have Christian home, and Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and man, it's, it's just like, I gotta get out of here. I've been a youth pastor 17 years. I've heard those words and I've seen that played out. If you're sitting here right now and you're saying, I'm going to get away. My question for you is, how far are you going to go? Let me give you the answer. You're going to go further than you thought you were going to go. That's the answer. Is it far enough? How far is far? You ever think about that? The father's house is defined. The far country is not. There's no, there's no guidepost that says you are now entering the father, uh, the far country. I think of it like this, the moment that boy stepped outside of the father's house, he was entering the far country. I mean, the moment he took his first step away from home, he was in the far country, and he went further than he thought he would go. And how far are you going to go? If you're sitting here right now and you're, you're thinking about that, hey, is it far enough? Is it far enough to break mom and dad's heart? Like this boy, no doubt, uh, broke his father's heart. Is that far enough? Is it far enough to waste years of your life? Is it, is it far enough to live with the shame and the regret that comes from walking away from the father's house? How far is far? The far country is hard to define, there are no boundaries, there are no limits. What we know is when we decide to walk away from the father's house we are entering the far country and we will go further than we ever imagined. It's not always easy to get out of the hog pen. I've seen young ladies leave the father's house and come to themselves. I've seen it, you've seen it. They come to themselves. It's embarrassing and it's shameful. And they say things like, I I never meant to go this far. How far is, yep, you better stay in the father's house. The far country. Eventually, this boy realized that he had gone too far, even for him. And he comes to himself, and he makes his trip back home. And when he gets back home, I love, the, I love to think of the fact that he's, he's rehearsing. He's rehearsing what he's going to say. He realizes the hog pen, and we won't get into all of that, but it was just a place of shame and embarrassment for a Jewish boy to be left with nothing, defiling himself, feeding pigs. By the way, hey, that's what the world will do to you. That's what, that's what it'll do. You'll waste everything that you have. You'll be left with nothing. You'll defile yourself when you walk away from the father's house. He comes back and he's rehearsing the story. He's gonna offer himself as a servant to his father. He says, I I can't be a son anymore, but I'll be a servant. So he comes back and, and before he could even, I heard one preacher say as he crested the hill, before he could even get to his father, the Bible says that the father gets up and he runs to him. I was preaching along this lines a couple of weeks ago in Teen Church and I made the observation this is the only time in the Bible where you see God run. This is the only time in the Word of God that I have found where the father runs. The father of course being a picture of God himself and, and when he sees the son coming, he runs to him. It's the only time that you see that happening. In the Bible, God is on a throne, the father is in control, he's not running anywhere, but in this story, when he sees that son crest the hill, uh, he abandons it all, and he runs to gather that son, and he embraces him, and and the son can't even get out the words that he was gonna say before the father says, man, get the fatted calf, and put a robe on him, and a ring on his hand, and uh, my son that was lost has come home again, and, and he throws a party and everybody's happy about it. Everybody is is thrilled that this younger brother has come home. We've all seen stories like that of the prodigals that return, and man, we rejoice, and, and we're thankful. Everybody except one person. There's one person in the story, and this person to me, I can't explain this person. You know, I kind of understand brother Mark the prodigal. I don't like it, but I do kind of understand how people walk away. I certainly understand the father. I mean, if my son were to go prodigal and he were to come home, listen, we'll deal with uh, the baggage later, but in this moment, I love you. And that's what God says to the lost. I, I love you and I understand that. I don't understand the older brother. I don't understand when everybody else is happy, He's angry. But while I don't understand it, I'm gonna try to understand it this morning. I'm gonna try to explain it to you. I I certainly see it. And I've certainly seen it play out in our churches and our Christian schools and in our youth ministries. And as we become adults, I, I have certainly seen my share of Christian people who Never waste their life. They never run from God. They never leave the Father's house. They're right where they need to be, but they're mad about it. I've seen that, and that's what I want to preach on this morning. We live in an angry generation, don't we? We live in an angry generation, and I don't think it's going to get any better. I think it's going to get worse. Few observations about this, son his angry son. Number one, he never left. And I've said that. He never left the father's house. He he stayed there. Boy, hear this. He stayed there under the rules and the expectations, the responsibilities. He never did leave. I want to say this about uh, the older brother. He was busy. Look, if you wouldn't, verse number 25, the Bible says, now his elder son was in the field. This angry son, he never left home and he was busy. He was in the work. He was in the field. He was being productive in the work of the father. He, maybe he was even tending the very field that the older brother had left behind, but he was there and, and he was busy. But watch this. Don't mistake activity for relationship. You see, just because you're busy in the work of God or just because your children are busy and they go soul winning and they're in chapel and, and they teach Transformers and just because they're here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and they get so busy with all these good church things, your head can spin trying to take them from activity to activity. Just because they're busy doesn't mean that they have a relationship with the Father. This young man was busy in the field. Yet, he had no relationship. He was doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. The what was right in his life. I want you to catch this. The what was right in his life, but not the why. The what, where he was and how he looked and and all of the externals, they were all right. But the why was not it was almost like the what and the why were separated. And let me just say this, I I, I firmly believe in doing the right things and living the right way and being in the Father's house and, and having the what in our lives right, but we better have the why right as well. Because when we don't have the why right, soon the what will dissolve and disappear. You see, he was doing all of these things, but he didn't know why he was doing them. And the only good reason for why we do what we do is because we love the Father. And He had lost that along the way. He he had forgotten that along the way. I mean, why do we come to church and why do we sing the songs and why do we have standards of holiness and, and why do we give of our time and our money and our energy and we're so busy and I think we ought to be. But why? I'm going to tell you why. Because on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross. I love that old cross. the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain, and it is so easy to be raised in the Father's house and to do all the right things our whole life, and to lose sight of why we're doing it. And families, look, I'm no expert on the home, but you better teach your children why we do what we do. It's not enough. Hey, it's not enough to just make sure that they're busy. They're busy in church. How many parents have said, you know, I mean, they were in church and they were active and they, I don't know what happened. Oftentimes what happened is we replaced activity with relation, or we replaced relationship with activity. I believe that's what happened in this young man's life. And it happens in our life. Hey, why do you do what you do? You know, I got thinking about this. I got thinking about this. I, I, I don't I'm not I am not a youth pastor you say we knew that no I am I I am not a youth pastor I'm a servant of Jesus and when it becomes about being a youth pastor and that's what I do and that's who I am I could be angry being a youth pastor Hey, I'm not a Sunday school teacher. You don't just teach a class. No, you're a servant of Jesus. And when it becomes, boy, i got to teach this class, you'll find yourself at times teaching the class angry. I'm not a bus driver. No, 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 no. I'm a servant of Jesus who loved me, and I love him, and this is what I do. Because when it becomes about just driving the bus, you'll drive the bus angry. You'll be in the work of God, in the field, and mad about it. Hey, don't lose the why. We're busy for the Lord because we love the Lord. But why was this young man angry? Give me 10 minutes and we'll, we'll wrap it up. I, I want you to think about this angry brother. I want you to think about those that have been raised in our own ranks. And they're mad about it. And they're out there. Some might be sitting here right now. saying, Man, you know. As soon as I'm able to, I'm going to get out of here. and I hope not, but it's a possibility. Why was he angry? I want to give you a few thoughts about why he was angry. When everybody else was happy, he was angry. When everybody else was in the church, singing and dancing, we're not going to do that here, but when everybody else was, Brother Eddie might, but no, when everybody else was singing and dancing and festive, he was upset, he was fuming, and he forfeited the party, why? Gonna give you a few thoughts. Number one, he was angry because he was selfish. He was angry because he was selfish. Look, if you would, in verse number 29, L- look at his answer. And he, answering, said to his father, "Look at this. Lo, these many years do I serve thee; neither transgressed I at any time uh, thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Do you see that attitude? I mean, I, 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 me, 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 my friends, my party, my my kid, my goat that you were supposed to kill. I mean, he was selfish." Raised in the Father's house, doing all the right things, but he was selfish about it. He had a wrong view of himself. He he somehow thought that he deserved more than what the Father had given him, that he deserved more than the grace of the Father in his life, And, and if we're not careful, we become selfish. We raise selfish children. Hey, I don't want to produce an angry child. I don't want to produce a child that sits in the father's house and is upset about it. And I'm going to tell you, I believe with all of my heart that that we do that when we allow life to become all about them. Selfish. Selfish. We make a mistake when we allow our children to be all about themselves. The selfie generation. I mean, their sports and their grades and their activities, and their friends, and their lives, and hey, what, you know, Jesus would want us to live for others. And if this boy had any of that inside of his heart, others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, if he had any of that inside of his heart, when he heard that his brother had come home, he would have rejoiced. But it wasn't about his brother, it was never about his brother, it was always about him. And so I ask myself, what am I doing? What am I doing as a dad to give my children a heart for others? They're not, now, listen, listen. They're not going to get it being the very best basketball player on the team. They're not. And I'm for it. And if you know my children, you know that they're all about it. But they're not going to get a heart for others that way. They'll get character. They'll learn teamwork. They'll learn, they'll learn all kinds of good things but they're not gonna get a heart for others. Well, what am I doing as a parent? What are you doing as a parent to give your child a heart for other people? Because if we're not careful, we will raise a selfish generation and that selfish generation will sit in the father's house and get mad about it. Why was he angry? He He was selfish, wrong view of himself. Why was he angry? I I believe this. I believe he was angry because he didn't understand sin. He he didn't understand sin. I I want you to think about this. He saw his brother leave and he saw his brother come back, but he never saw the hog pen. He never saw the empty stomach. He never saw the shame, the embarrassment, he never saw the abandonment. What he saw was my brother left, he came home, and now everybody's happy. And I think that this boy uh, thought that maybe he had missed out on something. Hey, you better understand that, that you don't wanna raise a child who looks at the world and thinks that they're missing out on something. And that's what had happened, and I think it had happened in such a subtle way. In this home, the dad just didn't realize what was going on behind his eyes and in his mind. This boy thought that he had missed out. Look, if you would at verse number 30, he kind of tells on himself. Look at it. He says, but as soon as this thy son, isn't that interesting? Thy son, he doesn't even call him his own brother. That's how selfish he was. You see, that's your son. As soon as this thy son, was come, uh, look at, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. Now, how did he know that? How did he know? that he had devoured his living with harlots. How did he know what this younger brother had done? They hadn't even talked up to this point. There's been no communication whatsoever. Let me tell you what I think happened. I think that he sat there and he thought about all the fun that his brother was having, and it was just convoluted thinking. He thought about all the sin and, and all the parties and, and all the riotous living. He thought about it and, and he just assumed it was happening and he thought he was missing out. And when he thought he was missing out, that's what produced the anger, a wrong view of sin. He never saw the effects of sin. And listen, I know, hey, I know that we want to shelter our children and and keep them safe. And I believe in that to the core. But you better sit your child down at some point, in my opinion, and say, this is what happens when we sin." Hey, this is why a bus route is a is a good thing to get your child involved with. And this is why it's a good thing on a Saturday to look at your child and say, hey, why don't you go soul winning today? You say, well, they don't want to go and I don't want to force them. Well, every now and again, why don't you force them to get to a pavilion and to see a lady who has lived in the far country and who'll cry over a piece of pizza. And yes, we love her and God loves her, but it'll do our kids good to see that on occasion. Lest they think that they're missing out on, hey, the devil's not going to show them the effects of sin. I mean, Satan's not going to show them uh, what happens after sin has run its course. No, he never shows that, does he? Somebody has to. What am I doing as a father to give my children a heart for others? What am I doing? What am I doing as a father to uh, explain to my kids and to show my kids the effects of sin? I don't want to produce an angry son. I think he had a wrong view of himself. He was selfish. He certainly didn't understand sin. I, I believe this. I don't, I don't think he understood the father. I don't think he understood that the father loves the lost. I don't think he got that. I, I think he felt like the father should have looked at the son and disciplined him, and pointed out every mistake. That's what should have happened. Hey, here's where you went wrong, and and here's why I'm disappointed, and and here's the problem, and that's what I think he thought should have happened. He, He didn't understand the Father. He didn't understand that the father, yes, he saw a lost son, but he loved that lost son. And sometimes we raise our children and they don't understand the very nature of God. They get this idea that God is just waiting to explode on them. Nothing could be further from the truth. They think that God is, is watching them and he's measuring them and, and, and we give them this idea that God is just, just up there and he's just, he's just the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. But the evil, he's beholding the evil and he's watching. And just like that, you know, that, that, that counselor or whoever when you make a mistake at camp, just like they're just, God's just waiting to come down on you. Hey, there's consequences to sin. And, and you'll live with them. But the heart of the Father is to love the lost. The heart of the Father is to receive the lost. The heart of the Father is to forgive the lost. And this boy didn't understand it. The Father doesn't hate you. He doesn't judge you. He loves you. And if you're sitting here right now, uh, you might, maybe you've been raised in church and you don't understand that. You don't understand that God Almighty is looking at you and He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. You say, Brother Judah, I don't even love myself. Hey, this this prodigal didn't love himself in the hog pen this prodigal had made choices and had lived with regrets Uh, i I promise you everybody had walked out of his life but that's the wonderful thing about the father when everybody walks out he walks in and it doesn't matter who you are this morning if everybody has walked out god will walk in because he loves you and we need to understand that or else we'll produce an angry generation we'll produce a, a generation where they're all about just measuring, comparing themselves among themselves. That's the sum total of, of what they know about God. That's what this boy was doing. He had spent a lifetime comparing himself to his little brother who had messed up. He had probably said, I'm better than him. I'm I'm more accepted than him, whatever, because I've done all these things. And he had done all those things and missed the heart of it all. And when that boy came back, he couldn't understand why the father would be happy. And he missed the whole point of it. And and you know what's interesting? I'll tell you what's interesting, and I'll, I'll be done. I don't know if this has been helpful or not, but I'll tell you what's interesting. All these parables given to the Pharisees, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son given to the pharisees, those who spent their lives looking at everybody else saying i'm better than them. Look at how much i give. Look at how i dress. Look at my habits. I'm rigid and i know the bible and i memorize it and I, and, and jesus said Let me give you some stories, gentlemen. I'm going to tell you about a lost sheep, a lost son, a lost coin, because you need to understand some things. You need to understand that you're selfish. You've made life all about you. You need to understand that the Father loves the lost. End of story. You need to understand the effects of sin, or else you're going to be a Pharisee angry with life thinking you should have gotten more from the Father. You know, we don't deserve, if all he ever gave us was a home in heaven, that's more than enough. I mean, if all the Father ever did was look at Abdel Judah and save me when I called on him, that is more than enough. But he's been good to us, and he's blessed us, and he loves us, and I have no right to look at God and to be angry about anything, nothing at all. And if you want to raise children, my opinion, that don't sit in church at 18 years old and, and, uh, and are angry about it, then you better start young, giving them a heart for others and asking yourself, what... What can I? Do? I love their sports and I love their grades and I love their instruments and I love their performances and, and yes, I'm, I'm I'm their biggest cheerleader. But what am I doing to give them a heart for other people? Maybe that's why a pastor encourages us to give to missions and we see the mission stories and we maybe that's why service after service. Maybe he's trying to give us a heart for other people, lest we sit in church angry. What am I do? What am I doing to? Explain and show my children the effects of sin and and do my kids have the right view of the Father? Do they understand who God is in his very nature? Do they understand that if they ever fall, and I hope that they don't, but if they do, people may judge them, people may, but God never will. Do they understand that? Do they understand that they're always welcome in the father's house, I was had a young man, and I'll tell a little bit of his story. He was here with me a couple of weeks ago. He was uh, raised in church, a good young man, and uh, had went to Christian school and Christian home and all of those things. In his senior year, he went prodigal. He walked away from the father's house. He disappeared, tried to find him, tried to reach out to him, tried to do the best that we could to let him know that we loved him, but it seemed like nothing that we did would bring him back. For years, he was in the far country. For years, mom and dad would come to the altar and pray and weep and the whole church knew why send a text message praying for you only to have it never answered to have it never received i remember 2 years ago specifically i was with our teenagers on senior trip and this young man came to my mind and uh, we were at union station in washington dc and before we boarded a bus i just sent him a text message called out his name and said praying for you thinking about you he had been in the far country for a long time long time now years he never responded I got word that he went to a camp this year. He kind of came back to church and went to a camp, and at that camp, God did a wonderful work in his heart. He sent me a text message. I was trying to find the text message, and my phone is not responding, so the devil's in the sermon. Oh, here we go. Got it. All right. Sent me a text message. He said, hey, Brother Judah, it's... said, I just wanted to say thank you for the time you invested in me as a teenager and trying to get me on the right track, trying to get me back. I wish I would have listened to what you were trying to tell me back then instead of having to find out the hard way. Hey, hey, teenager, teenager sitting here right now. Thinking about sin, thinking about leaving the Father's house, thinking right now, right now, you've got it. Oh, you look good on the outside, you're good to go, but in your heart, you're taking a journey. Listen to the story of a modern-day prodigal. I wish I would have listened to what you were trying to tell me, uh, but I had to find out the hard way. I want to let you know I rededicated my life to the Lord. I wanted to say I love you, and I love Jesus. He was at my house two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago in town. I had him come over, spend the night. Spent the night on a Friday night, and on Saturday morning, he was on my front porch reading his Bible. Saturday morning, he's 25 years old now, 26 years old. He was reading his Bible. I got a cup of coffee. I went out there with him. I opened up the Bible, and me and a former teenager, prodigal son, read the Bible together <laughs> talked about the goodness of God. And I thought to myself, in preparation for this message, how could anybody be angry about something like that? And yet he was, and will raise a generation that is, if we don't teach them to have a heart for other people, to know what sin does and to see it and, and to understand That when we sin, it's not just a choice that we make. It's a a choice that affects everybody. I've been saying this everywhere I've been, but when we sin, it's like taking a, a pebble and throwing it into a pond. We live with that initial plunge in the water, but then the ripple effect that we never calculate, that we never take into consideration. We need to teach our children why we're holy people why we do what we do because we love jesus we don't want to live with the consequences of sin and we need to teach our children that above all else the father loves them he loves them he'll run to them he'll run to them if they ever get away he'll run to them aren't you thankful that we serve a god like that Some of you are sitting here right now, and you could raise your hand and say, that was me, that was me. I left it all, and it took me farther than I wanted to go. And as soon as I made my way back, Jesus was right there. He was there for me, and he'll be there for you. And that's the God that we serve.